frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Film church. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Last night, I dreamed I went to Manderley again. It seemed to me I stood by the iron gates leading to that drive, and for a while I could not enter for the way was barred to me. Then, like all dreamers, I was possessed of a sudden with supernatural powers and passed like a spirit through the barrier before me. Good evening, and welcome to Film Church Radio. This is the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday, I'm Lewis. And I'm Brandon. And we are here to talk about movies. Each week, Brandon and I alternate picking a film for us both to watch and discuss. Today, I picked the film Rebecca from 1940, starring Laurence Olivier, Joan Fontaine, and Judith Anderson, and directed by a little-known director, Alfred Hitchcock. Um, this film was released in 1940, and David O. Selznick, who produced the film, um, had just created the biggest and most successful film of the golden age of Hollywood, Gone with the Wind, um, the year previous, 1939, and had imported the new British talent Alfred Hitchcock to America uh, to make movies and sign him to a seven-year contract. Um, the first film he made with Selznick um, was going to is today's film, Rebecca from 1940. Um, and for the first time in the podcast, Brandon and I have both seen this movie before. Um, it was a film that I hadn't watched for a long time, and when I did see it um, for the first time, um, I don't think I was particularly overwhelmed by it, um, and I wanted to revisit it. I'd been watching a lot of Hitchcock films, wanted to revisit it. I know Brandon had seen it, and I'm always interested to know how films sit on a second viewing, um, so that's the reason I chose it. Um, we and it just gives me and Brandon an excuse to go back to Mandalay um, and unpack the mysteries of Rebecca. Um, have our memories changed? Does the film stand up to repeat viewings? We are about to find out. And if you want to find out what we're going to be watching next week, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Brandon, I'm sure, has picked a cracking film for us to watch. And we are going to find out what that is at the end of the show. Um before we get into the films that we've been watching and get into all things movies here on Film Church, we'd like to say thank you to everyone who has been listening to the podcast and sending their love for the show. If you're new to the show and enjoying it, um, make sure to subscribe, hit the bell to be notified when a new episode is available. This is a Film Church, so we post episodes on Sundays. And if you really, really enjoy the show, please share it with your friends. You can find us on all the social media platforms at Film Church Radio, where you can leave us a comment or send us a message about the show. Um, we sometimes put some extra stuff on YouTube, um, so you can go and check us out over there as well. We haven't put anything up for a while. We'll have to change that, Brandon, pretty soon, I think. Yeah. Um, and we'd also love for you to rate and review the show on whatever podcast service you're streaming from. It really helps other people find it um, and join the congregation, which is what we're all about, celebrating the, the almighty gods of film church. Um, but before we discuss, talking of almighty gods... Before we discuss today's film, um, Rebecca, we are going to talk a, a little bit about some films that we've been watching recently. We like to do this just to kind of keep each other updated and a few little um, 
suggestions for each other to look out for. Um, so, Brandon, tell me what you've been watching, brother. So, lots of stuff. <laughs> uh, as you know, and as our listeners, faithful yeah. listeners, know, we watched Godzilla for a couple of episodes ago. And uh, that was the original 1954. So I watched, and I already talked about this, I watched the 2014 yeah. version. And then I decided I wanted to watch the 1998 version. We uh, seem to talk about it a lot on the ep- on the sh- like the episode for Godzilla. Yeah, we did. Yeah, uh, I mean, you and I are close to the same age, so we were kids when that came mm. out, and you know that to us it was you know the Godzilla of our time. Yeah. Um, and you had mentioned, you know, when we were talking about it, that uh, you know, you you weren't sure you wanted to go back and rewatch it. You wanted to just you know leave it in your childhood yeah, as, a as a good yeah. memory. Do that. just just do that (laughs) okay yeah we'll do (laughs) i mean there was some things i forgot it starts out well like you know like the first 30 minutes it was like oh this is like a warm blanket i forgot about all this and yeah you know and then it just kind of goes way downhill and 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 knowing all the stuff about godzilla the original and and watching it too it's just so unfaithful Um. You know, but obviously there's still a huge soft spot for it because I grew yeah. up on it. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's this funny bit in there that I had forgotten about and my my mom pointed it out because she was watching it with me. Um, the mayor is, his name is Mayor Ebert. Uh, oh, like Based on the, the Roger Ebert. Yeah, and um, his uh, he I guess he had another. I I don't really know much about them, but he he mm-hmm. had another um, film critic that he did stuff with. Was it Siskel? I think so. Yeah, Siskel yeah. and Ebert. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So like that, there's a like a campaign manager or something like that. That's or something that's also in the movie, and they're like based on Sis. Wow, Siskel and Ebert. And uh, did they like do thumbs up? or like thumbs yeah. down all the time. So there's yeah. like a joke at the end of the movie and he's like, you know what I think about your campaign? And he like holds his hand, thumbs up and he like points him down. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that was funny. You know, it was, it was fun to revisit it for the most part, but you know, it, it did taint the memory. Yeah. Yeah. So, the only question I have for you is, was he a worm expert? Yes. Yes. I thought yeah, I remember he's like he like when he um yeah, the beginning of the film he uh he's like sticking like this electrical there's a name for it, I'm sure. There's yeah. like this rod in the ground, he turns on electricity and all the worms come out of the ground and he's just like picking them up by the handfuls. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, and it seems so weird. It's like that was ninety eight. That was like yeah. before election, like right before yeah. he did election. Yeah, it's just weird. I don't know. Hey, Matthew Broderick is one of those people that I'm like, I'm always like, what happened to him? But then I go back and watch movies, and he's like there the whole time yeah. throughout all of film history. Like he's never yeah. gone anywhere. He's still doing stuff. You know. Yeah. Like he's just in random stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, he, he is. Yeah, it's true. 
Um, speaking of which, I might talk about it at some point. It's not even on my list, but I started watching uh, um, The Freshman with him and um, Marlon Brando. Oh, okay. Where Marlon Brando reprises his role of the Godfather. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> it's weird. It was from yeah. 1990, and he reprises his role as the Godfather, and it's supposed to be just like, He's like, you know, a gangster in New York and yeah. he's supposed to basically be the same character and then Matthew Broderick is a film school student which sounds promising ish, yeah. you know, for film lovers, but it's not very good so far. I'm like <laughs> halfway through it. I, yeah. I there was one point I just had to stop it and I was like I don't know if I can finish this. It's yeah. nauseating. Yeah. But uh it, even at one point, like when Matthew, this is spoilers, you know, I don't know if you'll ever see this. I'm not recommending it. <laughs> when Matthew Broderick like sees Marlon Brando as a godfather for the first time, he's like, you look just like the godfather. And then he like gets interrupted. It's yeah. so bad. You can just imagine like the filmmaker behind the camera being like, oh yeah. Oh That's yeah. how clever yeah. we are. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's weird, dude. Weird times. But anyways, uh, <laughs> after that, I watched uh, the Darjeeling, the Darjeeling Limited from 2007. Mm. Wes Anderson, yeah, uh, amazing movie. I gave it five out of five on the first wow. viewing. Zach wow. had recommended it. I forgot what we were talking about that that he brought it up, but he was like, "You would like this," and then yeah. I was like, "I'll watch it." And then I was like, "I did like it." <laughs> Yeah, it's really good. It's about three brothers. Uh, Owen Wilson is one of them, and you know, surprisingly, it's not the three Wilson brothers, but uh, Owen Wilson, Adrian Brody, and that other guy that's Francis Ford Coppola's nephew. That's not Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of his name. Uh, he always has a mustache, usually. <laughs> oh, I know. I know who it. Yeah. Uh, uh, brain fart. I'm gonna look him up real quick, but I mean, it was a really, really fun movie. Like, um, I think you know, Wes Anderson is he's so uh specific, yeah, with his style. That Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I always love everything that I watch of his but then i don't i don't like seek it out yeah uh, for no, some no, reason no. because i think yeah. i i'm afraid that i'll get uh bored of it or i'll get yeah. you know be like oh it's just this again but yeah. like every time i watch one of his films i'm like that was amazing yeah you know i, I yeah i feel like Wes Anderson again is a director that i'm not attracted to in terms of like seeking out his films i feel the yeah. same as you you know i have seen i really enjoyed grand budapest hotel i liked fantastic mr fox i thought that would that looked amazing yeah um but like yeah i don't like i don't know like specifically look for his films i know a lot of them are on criterion yeah discs and i buy a lot of criterion i don't think i own any of them so yeah you know i think yeah. that says something but it's weird because I think he's like a sort of a popular director, but he's he like, is, yeah. but for some reason, yeah, I'm not, I don't, and I've always, I, I don't think there's a film of his that I don't like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Jason Schwartzman That's is the it. other guy. 
Yeah. Um, I could picture him. Yeah. And they're, they're three brothers that haven't seen each other in a while having to spend, like they're going on an adventure together. I'll just say that. And it's a lot of fun. That sounds um, awesome. So yeah, definitely recommend it. Uh, then I watched the world's end um, from Edgar Wright. Hmm. I gave it four and a half out of five. It was the first time I ever seen it. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I just never got around to it and, yeah, I liked it a lot. I thought it was very clever. Um, you've seen it, right? I have. Yeah. yeah. The it it caught me off guard. I thought it was like yeah. one kind of movie, and then it like switches, mm-hmm. and it gets really crazy. And uh, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I think I can remember the first time I saw it. I think the the like the turn really disappointed me because I was enjoying the the premise so much. Yeah, you know. Um, but then when I rewatched it. I was like, no, this is actually really good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, definitely. I mean, maybe it's, you know, I've waited enough nine years, you know. Yeah. I I had no expectation. I had I no, that's good. no idea yeah. what to expect. And he's a good director, Edgar Wright. I like him a lot. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, And so knowledgeable with film. Oh, like, yeah. He's Have you seen those... him on Twitter where he posts, like, the images of the stacks of films? That he's been watching. No. Like he does it once a month. He's like, "Oh, here's everything I watched last month," and it's like a pile of DVDs. Yeah, and it like as a you know as a physical media collector, it's just like, I love it. I love yeah. it so much. That's great, you know. man. The life. I t- yeah. <laughs> I <know. laughs> um, after that, I watched Drag Me to Hell. This was a rewatch for me. Mm-hmm. From 2009. I hadn't seen it since it came out, but, um, you know, it, like, I love Sam Raimi. Like, he's yeah. amazing. The movie, I feel like, holds up very well. I gave Good. it five out of five, um, mostly because, um, you know, I don't, it's not my favorite Sam Raimi film by any means, but it's, it's such, it's done so well. Yeah. You know, like, I have so much respect for the process of, of the making of the film. Um, I mean, it's 2009 and it's very, very little CGI. It's like mostly all practical effects. And it's Sam Raimi, like returning to his roots of like this horror comedy that just like no one else can do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it is amazing. Like if you love evil dead and that kind of stuff, you've got to see drag me to hell. Uh, yeah. I found it in the thrift store, thrift store for fifty cents. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the behind the scenes stuff on it was really great too, because he like brought back I forget the guy's name, the guy that that did all the effects for the Evil Dead too. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's all the same team and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and it's just crazy, like the amount of work that was put yeah. into it. Like you just don't see. You don't see that kind of uh, effort and work and craftsmanship put into horror f- films like that anymore because it's so much CGI and so much simpler yeah. now. You know, I know. I'm seeing a lot of um, a lot of discussion around this because Prey, the new Predator film, that's got really good reviews. Yeah, um, quite a lot of that is like like the Predator is physical makeup. Yeah, um, and there's been a lot of videos being like. You know, this is this is how you do a proper horror film. You know, this is how you make a predator look scary. Is you make him real. Um, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I'm so excited about that. I haven't watched it yet, but um, I know the guy that directed it, Dan Trachtenberg. Yeah, uh, I used to watch on a show. This was like pre YouTube days. Wow. He had a show on a website called Revision Three that was like internet TV shows. Yeah, it was like literally before YouTube, and he had this show called The Totally Rad Show, and it was him and two other guys, and they would just like talk about films and stuff. That's awesome. And then he like made, I think he made like a portal short film yeah. and put it out on YouTube and it got like, mil- like it went viral. It got millions of views wow. and then they picked him up and he did um, 10 Cloverfield Lane. He directed yeah. that and then he's like directed other stuff here and there. Like he did a, some, I think he did a Black Mirror episode um, and then he, cool. he did the pilot for the boys. Oh, so, dang! Yeah. So he's he's seen he's done a lot that I've seen. Yeah, but exactly. Not aware of yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so yeah, it's cool to see like okay, now he's got like a big hit. Yeah, you know, I'm just like, what's, what's he gonna next? do that? It's just yeah. kind of crazy to see like this like an internet star. It's just like you know this is where the the Spielbergs and the Lucases of yeah. the next generation yeah. are coming from you know what mm-hmm. i mean and it's it's cool to just be like ooh, i knew him back then you know not personally yeah. but i, no, but I awesome. watched his show you know what i mean yeah. and that was like 15 years ago <laughs> yeah it's just kind of wild <laughs> um maybe that'll be us one day let's hope um but yeah so <laughs> I've talked for like 20 minutes just about movies I've watched. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I got on a Sam Raimi kick and I watched A Simple Plan from uh, 1988. It was so good. It's not at all, at all what you expect from Sam Raimi. Yeah. Uh, it's just a well-crafted, like, um, film. Yeah. Are you going to... Um, re- like, this is a serious question. It might sound a bit silly, but are you going to watch um, The Wizard of Oz film he did? I will. I'm going to get to it. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm kind of going through and being like, what Sam Raimi films have I not seen? And like, you know, checking them off the list. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to them. And then I'm probably going to watch everything that uh, Bruce Campbell has done. Might be next. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a good idea. Because, yeah, I saw it in the theater, but I haven't really thought about it much since it came out. And it was such a weird, I mean, it was his follow up to Spider-Man 3, right? I think no, he did. Uh, he did. Yeah, he did. Drag me to hell after Spider Man oh, Three, and okay. then he did Oz. I think. Okay, but yeah, there's a film I want to go back and just be like, ah, you know? yeah, just yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I haven't watched it, but yeah, I'm I'm curious. Yeah, very curious. I have. I still have my shirt from uh, when I worked at Carmike Cinemas. That's got Oz the Great and Powerful on it. And it says yeah. Carmike on it, but I never that's watched so it. Cool. So I was working there when it came out. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, totes. Yeah. I'm going to have to wear it like to some convention. Be like, yeah. I love Oz! <laughs> 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 if I see Raimi. <laughs> He's going to be like, why that one? <laughs> Evil what? <laughs> I didn't even know you made that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh dear. Uh so what have you been watching? <laughs> <laughs> now that we're twenty one minutes into the show. Yeah. Um i I mean bits. So I watched the game, nineteen ninety seven, um, Michael Douglas 
um, a film that I've been wanting to see for a while. It's David Fincher, who I really, really like. You know, yeah. probably one of the the last filmmakers that make proper adult thrillers. Yeah, you know, um, and I got the got the disc for my birthday, so I watched that, and it was really good. I didn't think that it stuck the landing particularly well, um, but it's a film where I think, on reflection, it didn't really need to. Yeah, you know, it kind of it did its job the whole way through. You're questioning it, and you're not really sure what's real and what's not, um, but in a good way. Um, yeah. So I gave it four out of five. I don't know how soon I'll go back and watch it, though. I don't know if it's got the rewatchability as like Seven or Zodiac and stuff like that. So, um, but it's a good, yeah. good one to fill in the blanks. And then my dad flew out for a week, um, and when he was on the plane, he said he was going to listen to. Well, he's going to try to watch Key Largo. Um, but with the the noise on the plane and Humphrey Bogart talking like he does, he just couldn't really understand what they were saying because yeah. it's so tinny and awful. So when he got here, I was like, okay, I'm going to show you Key Largo properly, like with a proper sound system. Um, so I watched Key Largo, one of the three between Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Um, and it's okay. I gave yeah. it three and a half. Um, what did he think some, of it? He enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. There's some there's some good bits in there. Um, Edward G. Robinson's in it, and I love Edward G. Robinson. Um, but it's very stagey. It's kind of it all takes yeah. place in a hotel, and there's a lot of like characters talking about what they've done and what they're gonna do. Mm. Um, uh, which is fine, but not because I I usually like stuff like that, like you know, just yeah. actors performing. You know, yeah. but if it's not, I mean, if there's no substance to it, it's not as interesting. Yeah, I mean, I can't really remember now, kind of what. Edward G. Robinson's character was doing in Key Largo. Yeah. You know, um, there was some really good bits in it, but like, you know, it's not Bogart's best, I wouldn't say. Um, Directed by John Huston, which is interesting. Yeah. He's, he yeah. has an interesting career. He's one of those filmmakers I'd like to to dive, dive into, into mm-hmm. you know? I mean, he directed like Annie, which yeah. is one of my favorite movies. And yeah. It's, it's weird that he did that. But then he's also an actor, like he pops up mm-hmm. here and there and... He like voiced Gandalf in the cartoon Hobbit movie, <laughs> which I grew up watching. And it's, that's it's great. Weird. He's just yeah, kind of there yeah. throughout cinema. <laughs> I can't. I I mean, I I don't know for sure, but I can't think. I can. I only assume that this is kind of like a smaller budget in between. Yeah, project. You know, bigger projects. Yeah. Um, might be doing a disservice. I don't know. Um, and then my and then I showed my dad the Manchurian Candidate, okay. which I I'd seen a few years ago, and I think I probably saw it too young. I think it like a lot of the political things went over my head. But mm. um, as soon as we've been talking a lot about like um, Huac and um, the Red Scare that was in America and like people being blacklisted and stuff, um, it just really resonated. You know, there's a lot. There's stuff in there. It's about like a platoon that come back from war um, yeah. from Vietnam, and one of them has been brainwashed um, to kind of start, you know, carrying out assassinations and stuff. And um, Frank Sinatra's in it, and I kind of forget how good Frank Sinatra is as an actor. Yeah, he's he's great. Um, and I gave it four and a half. I really liked it this nice. time. Um, I know I've seen a, it before, but I can't. Yeah. I, I it's one of those films that just kind of fades in your memory and yeah i can't remember it much i'll have yeah. to go back to it and i think that was the same for me as well i think like 
I'd kind of seen it was a bit like lukewarm on it and then had forgotten it. But I after it finished, I rewound like 15 minutes and watched the last 15 minutes again. Nice. So, um, good tell it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then the last few I watched, um, The Lady Vanishes, talking about Hitchcock films that I'd seen once and then wanted to revisit. This was one that I'd seen and really, really liked. And then I watched it again because I can remember really liking it and didn't like it as much. Mm. It came down a little bit. Um, Is that because you're just so saturated with Hitchcock now? I mean, potentially it could be. Um, I mean, it's still a really good story. And like the two lead performances are really good. Um, But there is a lot of like make weight. You know, there's a mm. whole, I think it's like 20 minutes before they got on the train. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of like people talking and you're just like, I don't like, let's get on with it. And it just feels a bit padded. Yeah. Um, but I mean, even the, I wouldn't say it's not a bad Hitchcock, but even, you know, a subpar Hitchcock film is a good film. Yeah. You know, so I can't complain. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I watched that again, um, and then I have been showing my daughter the Toy Story films. Nice. Um, so we rewatched Toy Story. Well, she watched Toy Story two. I rewatched Toy Story two. Yeah. Um, just it's just perfect. Yeah. Like the first three are just so good, so yeah. good. Um, Why do you say first three? Because the the fourth is really good. I just personally, you know, this is like a very personal thing. I don't like where the fourth one leaves everybody mm, yeah it it feels very i don't know it just doesn't feel right to me not tied up yeah um and i can understand why they did it i really do but i'm still a bit it's still my childhood as well you know? yeah and as we were saying like we are the perfect age i can remember like toy story came out in what 96 five 95 yeah sounds like four or five years old so this was like the perfect, you know, it's just, it's progressed with me through the yeah, years. Exactly. Um, yeah. And it's, I mean, they're incredible films. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Toy Story 3 makes me cry every time. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. So Nice. Yeah. So that's what I've been watching. Um, the only other thing that we've both been watching is, or re-watching, is Rebecca from 1940. Um, which we're going to talk about now. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> that came um, later. The the IMDb summary is um, a self-conscious woman juggles adjusting to her new role as an aristocrat's wife and avoiding being intimidated by his first wife's spectral presence. Um the first question I want to ask you, Brandon, because I've said this seven times now, is we've both watched this film before. So can you remember when you watched it for the first time and how you felt then? Uh, I know that I watched this as a child. Mm. And I'm probably, I probably felt the way that I felt re-watching it, which is creeps the f out <laughs> yeah yeah uh because this film to me is haunting af yep. i mean the way that it starts just the black and white the you know the woods the fog 
Yeah. You know, the narration, the way that the camera leads in to, to Manderley and the way that just that whole opening sequence, like I watched it this morning and I started getting chills and goosebumps because I was like, this is like a nightmare. Yeah. It's so vivid. It's so vividly like what my nightmares are like. Wow. And maybe that's because I watched this as a child and then had nightmares. <laughs> but it just works to me, you know? Yeah. Um, what about you? When's the first time you watched it? Um, so I watched it for the first time in around, I think 2016 was when I'd logged it on Letterboxd. Um, don't remember much about it. I gave it like a very lukewarm star rating. I think I gave yeah. it like a three. Mm-hmm. Um but honestly, like, I, I was surprised because when I rewatched it, I could remember the beginning really well. But then when they get to Mandalay, I'm like, I don't know where this is going. I turned to Chelsea and I was like, I yeah. just don't know what happens. Like, I, I don't know what happens. You yeah. Know? Um, it's weird so because I, I rewatched this movie like two years ago. Yeah. And I couldn't remember. Yeah. And like, I, I had rated it on Letterboxd then and I couldn't remember what happened. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's the the master mastery of it. Yeah, is that this? I mean, that's Hitchcock, isn't it? The story isn't really important. It's kind of mm-hmm. you know parts of the story at least aren't important. But yeah, and then this time watching it again, I was like, wow, this is better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, you know, judging by my previous review. So, yeah. mm-hmm. um, so it's nineteen forty. Um, Hitchcock has just come to America. He's been making films in England, got a lot of press, like been making good films in England, wants to try and branch out a little bit, comes to America, signs this contract with David O. Selznick, who has just come off the back of making Gone with the Wind, the most expensive and most successful film mm-hmm. up until that point of all time. Yeah. Um, he follows it up with this film, David O. Selznick. This is yeah. like the follow-up to Gone with the Wind. It earns best picture oscar it wins um and is nominated for i think 10 others at yeah. the ceremony but only winning that one. Oh, and is it music as well i think oh i don't know maybe i think it's best picture and music maybe um yeah beating out um great dictator amongst others um and it's like hitchcock is an American filmmaker now. This is the film mm-hmm. that kind of made that transition. Um, and I found it really interesting that it's set in England. Yeah. It's like this is, you know, it feels like one of his English films, but just on a bigger budget. It also won Best Cinematography, by the way. That's okay. Yeah, it is interesting that yeah, it's his first American film and then it's set in England. But yeah. you know, maybe that's why it worked. Yeah. He's got you that know. touch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about what we liked. I mean, it stars Laurence Olivier, um, Joan Fontaine, um, and Judith Anderson. And I want to say that the 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 scene stealer for me is Judith Anderson as mm-hmm. um, Mrs. Danvers, Danny. Yeah. 
Um, she is chilling. Yeah. In this, mm-hmm. but it, it is like terrifying. I think the only other person that could have played her this well, and it may have changed the outlook a little bit, but when I was sitting, I was getting really strong vibes of, do you know the Wicked Witch of the West? Yes. From Wizard of Oz? Yeah, I was thinking that too. <laughs> yeah. She's just, it's that kind of, I don't know, tightly wound, like po-face. I don't know how to yeah. explain it. It's um, like one of those performances that she probably could never get away from. After yeah. she played that oh, character, 100%. people would just pull her out on the street and be like, you monster. Yeah. You know, because that yeah. happened with the, the lady who played the witch. It was just like, yeah, that was just who she was now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, apparently uh, Hitchcock told her not to blink. And it works. <laughs> yeah, it does work. Yeah. yeah, man, she is so creepy. She is so chilling and haunting. What's interesting to me, uh, watch, rewatching it this time, is uh, the uh, the Joan Joan Fontaine actress character who becomes Mrs. De Winter yeah. in the beginning of the film. You know, she's like this uh, uh, assistant to this rich lady. Mm-hmm. And she finally, like, that whole sequence just builds up how annoying that lady is, right? And then she yeah. finally breaks out of that um, chain or whatever you want to call it. Um, and and it's, it's, to me, it's like a little trick that Hitchcock does because it's like, okay, we're building up this whole uh, thing so you'll hate this lady. And then we're going to give you something that you want by letting her break away from her kind kind of telling her off in a way yeah. um and then immediately he introduces this other character that's also mm-hmm. a woman that's also um despises the Joan yeah. Fontaine character and but wor- like 10 times worse yeah. you know and i think that's also what makes it work is that it's like there's so much mystery around that lady. Whereas like the first lady, you know, you kind of immediately get a sense that she's a total bitch. (laughs) Whereas like this lady is like, uh, you don't know. It's like, is she evil? Like what? Yeah. Is she just a really good housemaid? Yeah. Housekeeper, you know, because like they say, you know, he says, I don't know where we'd be without her. And she's like, I've never had a complaint from him mm-hmm. you know so she must be really good at a job so i just didn't know whether it was just like what she what they'd come to expect in a household is like her being very severe you know and stern right. and kind of like not at mandalay you know yeah exactly um yeah because i was never i didn't I, I couldn't remember where the film was gonna go i mean there's a point in it around halfway through where i'm like is this going to become a ghost story do you know when she mm-hmm. looks out her bedroom window and she sees, you know, it's Mrs. Danvers, but she sees the character like shutting the window. Yeah. I was like, who is that? Yeah. Like, is this is that Rebecca? Like, what's happened? You know, is this mm-hmm. going to turn into like a ghost story? Yeah. Um, and I was kind of surprised when it didn't. Yeah. Because it doesn't go that way at all. It's just no. Like everyone talks about Rebecca. You know, she's yeah. she's a she's a ghost because everyone's still thinking about her. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think um, that was just the brilliance of 
Hitchcock of mm. of taking this script that could have been uh pretty straightforward and simple and you know whatever but he he adds this haunting layer to it that just seeps through the entire film i mean it like yeah. starting with uh the Joan Fontaine character narrating the film as if she's dead yeah and she's coming back to haunt the house yeah and th- like just starting you off thinking there's there is a ghost yeah you know and that chill just that chill that i got at the beginning of the, of the film just echoed into the rest of the film and yeah, yeah it feels like it feels like rebecca is there the entire time yeah and i mean i'm i'm not going to take credit for this cuz i saw it on one of the special features on the disc but um they talk on one of the like interviews they talk about how there's the scene where they're in rebecca's room and she like cowers against the door Joan fontaine's the second mr de winter and her shadow like looms like the, the lighting must have been like underneath her mm-hmm. but there's it looks like there's another face in between her and mrs danvers ah so there's always like always some kind of shadowy touches. presence yeah, and like, stuff that... Know, that isn't could be rebecca it's like this, yeah. this other presence in between them that's the interesting i did notice at one point when she walks into a room her shadow is huge. I mean, they're in this huge mansion. Yeah. If yeah. if you haven't seen the film, like the mansion is ginormous, and she walks mm-hmm. into like the dining room, and the camera is way up in the corner of the mansion to where you know the character is tiny coming in on the screen. Yeah. But the shadow is just as high as as the mansion. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That's a lot of. I mean, little touches like that that make this. A best picture. You yeah, know? exactly. It elevates it from, you know, just a very, I don't know, basic story to kind of cinematic beauty. You yeah. Know? Um, you don't necessarily have to have it on, like have the sound on. You know, you can, it's, it's got the feeling of a, like a silent film. Mm, yeah. You know, because everything is so well positioned and like the images yeah. speak. You know, because they're all cavernous rooms and um, especially the scene where they are in Rebecca's bedroom. Yeah. It's, I think that's the centerpiece of the film is mm-hmm. the ceiling seem to grow by about six feet. It seems to be this huge room. There's like these massive like lace curtains everywhere. Yeah. You know, there's breezes coming in. There's, it's just, it's a phenomenal sequence. Yeah. Um, and truly terrifying when she starts yeah. going when mrs danvers starts going through rebecca's wardrobe and you know rubbing it against joan fontaine's face and then she starts going through like a lingerie and stuff it's like this is really creepy yeah it go, at that moment it kind of goes from <clears throat> you know you're not sure if this is you know if she's just a total bitch <laughs> yeah <laughs> from yeah. from that to uh Oh, she's just crazy. Yeah. You know, she's just insane. Yeah. Um, and so you you almost have sympathy for her in a way because she's just uh I don't know. I shouldn't say total bitch, but No. <laughs> um she's like uh you kind of have sympathy for her because she's like in mourning. Yeah. I mean she the, does wear black. Yeah. The whole film. Yeah. Yeah. Um you know I love Vertigo. It's my favorite film ever. Um, yeah. 
So it's hard for me not to watch films and try and, especially Hitchcock films, and try and link it to Vertigo. Yeah. But there's a point. I mean, that was the starting, like the nugget of like the idea that came into my head of that Mrs. Danvers was like in love with Rebecca Mm. and is like like, trying to keep everything secure and like is obsessed with Rebecca, basically. Yeah. To the point where she will dress Joan Fontaine as Rebecca. Like we think, I mean, think on first watch and you think it's just like a cruel trick. Yeah. But then when I watched it, and then, like, I rewound because I was like, I want to watch it again from this perspective after I finish the film. She is watching her, you know, come down the steps. And she even says, like, I watched you go down. You know, there's some voyeurism in there of being, like, dressing uh, her as Rebecca yeah. to get that thrill. Interesting, yeah. That could just be a, a leap to try and make it <laughs> relate to Vertigo a little bit yeah. more. But it's it just adds that extra layer of, like, I think that's the story that Hitchcock was most interested in. Yeah. You know, um, because Laurence Olivier is great as Maxim. Mm -hmm. He's really interesting. But like once it kind of gets into his story, I feel like this film starts to lose a little bit of pace. Definitely. I mean, to me, the story is about the women in the film. Yeah. Oh, I mean, for sure. It's like it's about I mean, it's about the Joan Fontaine character Mm. uh, gaining uh power yeah for herself like woman power yeah you know it's 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 about because i mean there's obviously a lot of like very problematic ideas in this film as far as like the patriarchy goes i mean very creepy lines (laughs) you know very you know the man owns the woman kind of yeah trash garbage (laughs) you know i'm proposing to you you little idiot (laughs) yeah (laughs) he says that and like he, at one point he's like talks about making violent love to her and like yeah um it's gross and disgusting and you kind of have to like you know just be like oh it's of the times to be able to enjoy this film yeah um but the the to me the the film is about uh the Joan Fontaine character gaining some autonomy and some power and some confidence and yeah. you know all of those things because like I said, it starts off and she's like this servant for mm-hmm. this other woman who's very yeah. demanding. And like, to me, this lady um, is, let's see, what's her, what's the actress's name? Uh, Florence Bates as Mrs. Van Hopper. Like, she reminded me of Chewbacca at one point when she's like <laughs> sitting in the bed and they're like, it, it looks <laughs> like a throne. And she's yeah. like taking her medicine and she's like, oh, disgusting. Quick, get me a chocolate. <laughs> she like shoves a chocolate in her mouth and she like turns around and she's like, oh, what yeah. are you doing in here? <laughs> anyway, like <laughs> I wonder if Lucas saw that and like was like yeah. big slug. <laughs> but, uh, but like, you know, she breaks out of those chains, but immediately she's like, you know, having to live under this uh, shadow of the previous Mrs. Danvers, yeah. uh, previous Mrs. Uh, De Winter, mm. and Mrs. Danvers like being really hard on her and being like, "You're not good enough." You like, you know, immediately like, here's everything that 
Mrs. DeWinter did. Here's everything that Rebecca did. You know, here's all the letters you need to write. Here's all the, you know, tasks you need to do. And it's all overwhelming for her. And you can tell that she's, uh, that she just doesn't believe in herself, you know? And like, Yeah. yeah, it's just, it's all about her gaining that power. And yeah, yeah. I, I do agree that it kind of loses its place a little bit towards the end when it, you know, starts to become about the murder and the, you know, what happened to Rebecca. Yeah. Um, and that's probably more of a fault of the script, I would say, mm-hmm. because would any other filmmaker that had this script wouldn't have come close to the film that came no. out of this. You know, Hitchcock no. took took it and just, like you said, elevated it and turned it into a best picture. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know how much control he had over the end, but I mean, I still feel like it, it, it works as like this American film that mm. needs like some kind of big house on fire ending or something, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's yeah. definitely, it's definitely a film that I want to keep rewatching and, and try to maybe figure out that part of it a little bit. Yeah. Cause I think the Joan Fontaine character, like you were saying is pretty unique in this period of Hollywood in the, you know, she's she's aware that she's supposed to have shortcomings. You know, she's supposed to be, like, not as intellectual as Maxim and kind of a little bit more plain. And, you know, she still is a Hollywood star, Joan Fontaine, so it's hard to be like, you know, oh, you're just a plain maid that yeah. he married, you know, because um, she's incredibly beautiful. But it's, yeah, like, you can tell that she is, she's very timid, you know, she doesn't want to speak up. Um, she's kind of controlled by other people. Um, and I thought that it would be like her getting her independence and like yeah. just kind of becoming the lady of the house. But it's never, it never turns into that. Yeah. Um, she's a very interesting character, like a very interesting, like leading woman, I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's the there's the moment where um, Mrs. Danvers is like whispering in her ear, trying to get her to jump out the window, and I think that's kind of the last moment. That's where it like switches from her to uh, Maxim, the Lawrence yeah. Olivier character, being about yeah. his story, because then they like rush down to the boat and all that. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, Jen- again, she's like in that scene where they're in the 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 cabin on the you know by the water she's like telling them that Rebecca can't win like they can't let Rebecca win and all that but then yeah, yeah the plot it really doesn't have anything to do like the character doesn't do anything to like overcome and like you know make the the story happen or fulfill any kind of destiny in any way necessarily yeah no i i, I agree um yeah, it's uh it's a very strange um character to kind of have as your titular character, I guess. Well, not titular cuz she's not Rebecca, but um yeah, cuz Hitchcock was very famous for kind of taking like buying like not the rights to books and kind of changing the story a lot. Yeah. And kind of just using it in name only sometimes. Um 
Whereas I think Selznick was very like, no, we need to film the book. You know, it needs the people that have read the book are going to be annoyed if they come and don't see the book. Yeah. So, um, and he was very hands-on as a producer. You know, Gone with the Wind. He kind of, it was his film. It wasn't the director's. It was like his idea. Yeah. So, I think that a lot of the issues with this is probably them trying to stick too close to the book. Right. Whereas yeah. I'm sure with Hitchcock, it may have developed into like a ghost story. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like a. But then we get this ending at the like the trial at the end that feels a bit tacked on and like yeah it doesn't feel like the same film sometimes um and cuz in the book um Maxim actually shot her oh like his big reveal is like oh i murdered her oh okay. and like and um Mrs. De Winter's like i don't care i'm just glad that you love me yeah you know whereas obviously they couldn't do this cuz of the Hays code and like they couldn't have a like a killer getting away with it, so she yeah, has to exactly, have that yeah. trip and fall, which seems very um, unbelievable. Yeah, really. But maybe again, that is up for interpretation as well. You know, if he's yeah. telling this story, it could be a lie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, the the cancer thing was interesting, where you find out she had cancer and then. You know, she's so it's like the way the movie presents it is that she wasn't pregnant and she told uh, Maxim that she was pregnant with another man's child to try to get him to murder her to kind of just like get back at him to ruin his life because she's going to die of cancer anyway. Um, I hadn't considered that he was a liar, but. That's definitely possible. I mean, he lied about the whole thing in the first place. Yeah, because I didn't think about it until I like found out that the ending was in the book is like that. You know? Yeah. Because um, I was like, I don't, I don't know. I feel you know it never. It doesn't feel like his heart's in it when he's telling this story. Yeah, he's like she tripped and fell, and I kind of looked away for a minute, and then I looked down and. Well, his whole performance in general is very, like, what's he on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just, like, kind of, you know, squinty-eyed and, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I think that adds to it, though. I think that adds to that I mean, spookiness. for sure. Yeah, it's not bad. It's just, no. it's it's just you know, what the performance is. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it definitely adds a lot of character. Yeah, because it's, you're never really sure, like, is he, like, does he like her? dismisses yeah. the winter because he's kind of you know part of the time he's like you know oh darling I'll, I'll make sure i'm there to look after you and the other time he's like okay i'm gonna go and look over these books again like the uh-huh. balance books with my best friend <laughs> for the whole day and it's like where are you going like what, what are you doing for a job <laughs> um he's the godfather <laughs> but he's got like, that Lawrence, stash <laughs> it is a good stash it suits him um Lawrence olivier is like he, he, at this point, he was like touted as the best actor to ever have lived. Wow! Like on the stage and like on the screen and stuff. Um, and it is a really good performance, but it's not about him, as you said. It's it's about the women. Yeah. And his character is not interesting. Yeah. No. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. 
I mean, it's so, interesting enough. You know, yeah, it's yeah. it's interesting. Like the the murder. You know the you you know the beginning. You don't know if he's mourning or you know what's going on. Um, I mean the I I rem I think I remembered this time that he hated her, but I definitely remember a couple of years ago when I watched it and it's revealed that he hated his wife. Yeah. I was like, what? Yeah, no, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think that works really well. Yeah. Um. But yeah, on the rewatch, it's like, man, we could have had just like a big female empowerment film. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Because it's so sure. close. It is, and like you said, it's not. It doesn't um, bring the film down. It doesn't ruin it because you're still interested to see where it's going to go. Yeah. Um, and the ending, I guess, is satisfying. But that the trial bit could have been removed and it could have been revealed a different way. Yeah. And it would have been a lot more, I think, impactful. Yeah. Um, and it, I feel the same way about the ending as well. I think the fire at Mandalay is um, is a, a an opportunity missed, really. We could yeah. have had a really interesting scene between the second Mrs. De Winter and Mrs. Danvers where they're like, where she's like struggling to get out. Yeah. You know, and that's where I thought it was going to go. And then it was just like, oh, she's fine. Yeah. Um, or, you know, it could have been a little more psycho yeah. where, uh, Mrs. De Winter, new Mrs. De Winter, Joan Fontaine is like having a nightmare about yeah. Rebecca and she wakes up and she just sees this shadow coming in to kill her. And it's obviously Mrs. Mrs. Danvers. That's you know, chilling. Whatever. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, but I mean, we do get the phenomenal shot of like the tracking shot that goes around the front of the, like the bedroom when it's on fire. Yeah. And like zooms into Mrs. Danvers just like about to die. Yeah. And that is like, you know, holy crap. Yeah. That's it's horrifying. It's Karma. a really, yeah. I mean, it's a really great, yeah, like villain death. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, definitely Oscar worthy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the fact that she didn't get, I think she got nominated, but she didn't win, is yeah. a travesty because yeah. it's a great performance. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Joan Fontaine too. I mean, she just, yeah. I feel like, kills this role. Yeah, and there's so many subtleties. Like, her body kind of reacts to people before she does. Like, she mm. tenses up a lot, and she kind of she makes herself look really small in certain scenes. It's like it's a great yeah. physical performance. Yeah, there there's a there's one shot in the film that I really liked where she she's having like dinner for the first time in in Mandalay, and uh, everything in this house has like an R on it. Yeah because it's all Rebecca's stuff and the napkin on her plate has an R on it and the the shot starts on the plate and it's all one shot it zoom you know it it pulls yeah. back you see her the Joan Fontaine character and then it keeps pulling back 
uh, to reveal this long table with Maxim at the end, but then it just keeps pulling back and you see the whole room and it's just mm. giant. Yeah. But while that shot is going on, she gives this incredible non-dialogue performance where you can just see she's so uncomfortable. Yeah. And like you said, her body is reacting before she can realize, oh, actually, I need to be smiling because this is my new husband and I'm supposed to be a happy wife. Yeah. Uh, you can see all of that in there, hmm. which like reveals so much about, I think, women in this time. Yeah. Of like, you know, the image that they were supposed to portray and the pressures that were on them to be a happy, good wife. You know, they weren't yeah. allowed to be depressed because, you know, it would upset their man or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's that whole thing of where she finishes breakfast, goes into the library and they're like, oh, no, we, you, the old Mrs. De Winter didn't come into the library until after lunch. Yeah. She goes to the morning room and she's like, I don't want to go to the morning room. Yeah, like oh, she used to write letters. Like, and she, you can tell she's like, I don't write any letters, especially not that's going to take all. I want to play video morning. games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just you know, it's that kind of pressure of formality. Yeah, you know? um, which have you you've seen? Have you seen Spencer? Yes. The, yeah, I mean, it's oh, kind dude, of, you yeah, it's so similar performance. Now that I think about it, yeah, I think it would make a really good double bill for sure yeah yeah i'm gonna have to go back and watch that again that i like that movie a lot yeah me too dude i thought it was great interesting um so i've got a few questions so hitchcock himself said that he didn't feel like this was a hitchcock picture really would you agree yeah i would disagree yeah me too 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah. i mean like i said like this film would not have won Best Picture without Alfred Hitchcock. No. I mean, props to David O. Selznick for, you know, getting him over here and giving him mm -hmm. some some good work to do. But, like, this film would have been terrible without him. Again, like, the performance we're talking about, Joan Fontaine. Again, like, Hitchcock, not the greatest uh, personal human being. But, no. you know, he you know, did some unethical things to get performances out of, out of people. And, uh, he, he like, well, Lawrence Olivier wanted his girlfriend to be in it. Who was, um, the girl from gone with the wind, uh, Vivian Lee. Yeah. Vivian Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Lawrence Olivier wanted Vivian Lee. And because Vivian Lee wasn't in it, he kind of had a grudge against Joan Fontaine. And then Alfred Hitchcock played that up and was like, mm -hmm. yeah, he hates you. And uh, and also, mm. the rest of the crew hates you, and so that just added to that like shy, timid, yeah, performance that she gives. So yeah. you know, Which, like we wouldn't yeah. have gotten that. Like, no, Vivian Lee is an amazing actress, yeah. but it wouldn't have been the same. There's actually a very, I mean, on YouTube, if you search for it, there's there's a like a four minute video of Vivian Lee screen testing for this. Oh, nice. Um, it is not good. Really? She yeah, she does not play it very well at all. Yeah. Um but I did read someone that said to think of Vivian Lee as Rebecca. Ooh shit. So when you watch it, like because you never see Rebecca. She's never like no. a flashback, nothing. But it's Vivian Lee. Yeah. Would have played Rebecca in flashback. Damn. And I was like, That's That is good. like perfect. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Man, that changes the whole movie. Yeah, because the whole time you're thinking like, what kind of person yeah. would love Mrs. Danvers and be besties with her? Vivian Lima. <laughs> yeah. Like, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. Yeah. Wow, I like this movie even more now. Yeah, I, lo- <laughs> I love it when someone says something like that. I'm like, that is the perfect way to think of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, do you think that um, the fact that we never see Rebecca um, is that touch of mastery? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. definitely. I mean, again, it would have been cool to do some kind of fake out thing at the end where yeah. you think like, oh, the ghost is real, but then it's yeah. not or something like that where you, you know, all of a sudden that presence you felt is there. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. I mean, the film is great. Yeah. You know, it, it could yeah. have just, it t- could have totally not worked. Who knows? Yeah. Um, You know, could, they could have tried that and it didn't work. Like, Yeah. Um, I think it just puts us more in Joan Fontaine's character's shoes. Yeah. Of like, everyone else was so in love with Rebecca, apparently. And we're like, wait, who was she? Like, yeah. I don't even know what she looks like, you know? Yeah. Especially the boathouse scene where he kind of describes her death would have been easier to do in flashback. Yeah. And then been like, you know, then flash forward and been like, and then I, you know, sailed the boat out and jumped off or whatever. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it definitely works. Yeah. With, I mean, it works better without doing a flashback like that, you know, when he's telling the story of him, of, of how she died. It just, yeah, it adds more mystery to it, you know, and, yeah. and makes the possibility open that he did kill her, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's how I'm going to read it from now on, I think. I think I prefer that to the ending that we get. Yeah. I think I like the fact that he's hiding something. Yeah. Um, I'm just going over seeing if there's anything else I want to bring up. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the last thing I want to say, I mean, Hitchcock, again, these are all in an interview with um, Truffaut that he did, a very famous kind of like retrospective of his career yeah, where they kind of talked about every film. Um, He said himself that he felt like this was an old-fashioned story, um, but it's aged well. Yeah. Um, He said that that it aged well? Yeah. Yeah, he said that out of some of his films, this is the one that's aged the best. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's because instead of him, I know he said it's old fashioned. I think it's pretty timeless because there was yeah. times where I was like, wait, is this like 1940 or is this like 1890? Yeah, exactly. You know, like yeah. what kind of decade is this in? Yeah. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's just a very great story. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's very classical in that way. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's like you said, it, it does feel timeless. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's not, you know, you watch it and you know, it's not a time of now, especially mm-hmm. based on the, you know, the dynamics between men and women and all that kind of thing. But you get it like it wouldn't work without those dynamics. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, And it's not really celebrating them in any kind of way. Yeah. You know. Um so yeah, I mean, I I agree. Yeah. Um 
I know the first word was about her, but my last word is too. I mean, Judith Anderson as Mrs. Danvers is the reason I'm going to go back to this film soon. Mm. Yeah, I can't wait to kind of just watch her performance again. Yeah, knowing the ending. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, you'll have to go back to it sooner rather than later, so you don't forget. Yeah, it. <laughs> I know that's the plan. Yeah, because I'm I'm reading the you know thousand page biography of Hitchcock at the moment, so yeah. Um, I'm still mid-British years, so when I get back to Rebecca, I'm sure I'm going to watch it again. So. Uh, before we jump off, I wanted to ask you about George Sanders. Yeah. Did you recognize his voice at all? So George Sanders, I know um, he did a lot. Um, yeah. And he was in, I know he was in a Disney film, but I can't remember which one. Sheer Khan. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In the Jungle Book. Yeah. Yeah. I immediately was like, "This is a sly, sexy tiger." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the character he plays, slinking yeah. in through the window, and uh-huh. you know, he's got those affectionate and annoying nicknames for you know Danny and mm-hmm. all that. So, yeah, I like George Sanders. Yeah, he was great. He is. I want that picnic basket. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. What I need guy. it. Yeah, man, that that is so good. The Dishir Khan, that's great. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. But in this film he is loathsome. That character is Oh yeah. Horrible. <laughs> I mean, he's pretty charming at first and then you find yeah. out, oh. Yeah. You know. He's like, oh, she was she loved me. She hated you. Yeah. You killed her. I'm going to tell everybody. It's my yeah. baby. <laughs> I like that the judge is just like, yeah, I hate him as much as you, but like, I'm a man of the law. I've got to, <laughs> yeah. I've got to follow this up, you know? Yeah. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, do you want to kind of guess how we rated it on Letterboxd? Sure. Are you sure you don't already know what I rated it? I, I knew what you rated it the first time. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I mean, I, I didn't know if it had been life is going to change. Yeah. Um, but I'm pretty sure, after our conversation, that it hasn't. No. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a five star. Yeah. For you. Five out of five star. for me. Yeah. I'm gonna say, mm, I feel like it's pretty close to a five. Yeah. But I'm gonna say, I mean, you said three and a half before. I think it. I think it went up to four and a half. Yeah, it did. You're yeah. right. Nice. I think the 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 trial scene loses me a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, but all the bits with Mrs. Danvers, I'm hundred percent in. You know, it's just, it's like, if it had let, been left a little bit ambiguous as to yeah. if he had done it, and you know, yeah. Um, Isn't it crazy that Hitchcock, the first thing he does in America wins best picture he's nominated but doesn't win Mm. he doesn't win another best picture and he doesn't win best director for the next 40 years and never that's it yeah and then he dies it's yeah it's a travesty i mean when you think of the films that come after rebecca um yeah i was looking at the ones that that he was nominated for best picture and it was like you know, he gets nominated for yeah. uh, Rear Window, and it's yeah. like, that's where it should have happened. Mm-hmm. 
but you didn't do it. Then he gets nominated for Psycho, and it's like, that's definitely, you had your, your chance and you messed up. You yeah. should have done it there, and then no. Yeah. I mean, it's like, Re- what? <laughs> yeah. Rebecca isn't even in top five Hitchcock. Yeah. You know, so. Um, it's definitely a best picture, but it's like, yeah. you know. Compared to his, the, his yeah. uh, you know. Mm-hmm. It's so crazy. Yeah, dude. Um, yeah, it's it's mad. It's mad. And uh, one of the reasons, you know, why he's so interesting is that. Yeah. Wh- why? You yeah. Know, lots of people saw him as just like a populist. Yeah. Filmmaker. And I think that's unfortunately wrong just because he made yeah. accessible films. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like. Just like the others, we are leaving the <laughs> smoldering remains <laughs> of Mandalay in the background and Bye. moving forward onto a new horizon. Um, Brandon is going to tell us now um, what he's picked for us to watch next week. Um, so we talked at the beginning of this episode about Wes Anderson. Yeah. Uh, we watched Idiocracy last week. We did. With Luke Wilson. Um, And if you didn't know, Wes Anderson, Luke Wilson, Owen Wilson, Andrew Wilson, yes, there is another Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) They all knew each other in college, made a film together, Mm. took the world by storm. Uh, It's 1996, ladies and gentlemen, and the film is Bottle Rocket. It is 96, right? I got that right. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, yeah, so I I've seen it. Uh, I saw it once. Pretty sure I was sleepy. Yeah, I, I remember it sort of, but I I don't remember the plot at all. Really, okay. I remember Owen Wilson being funny, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm you know I'm a big fan of filmmakers' first films, how they got their start, you know yeah. what they do to make it entertaining on a budget with no. You know, I mean, obviously, Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson became huge and Wes mm-hmm. Anderson. But like, yeah. you know, this was when this film came out, nobody knew who these guys were. Yeah. You know, let's see what worked. Yeah. That's got, that's so exciting. I love those films, too. I yeah. I love seeing the progression. So that's yeah, very man. exciting. And that'll be next week. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which um, unfortunately brings us to the end of the show. Um, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you being here with us and listening to us talk about Rebecca. If you have any ideas or any thoughts on stuff that we missed, please, please drop us a a DM, you know, comment on the post that you see out and about. Let us know what you thought of the film and the bits you liked, the bits you didn't like. We really want to hear from everyone, you know, know what you've been thinking about the films we've been watching. Um, and you can find us and leave us comments and everything at Film Church Radio on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and you can also follow Brandon and I individually on Letterboxd. Brandon is at Salmon Scope and I'm at WalkerLose3007. Um, keep up with what we've been watching in real time. And if you're like, oh, I like that film. I can't wait for them to talk about it on the podcast. That's why we do it. So come and <laughs> listen to the podcast and listen to us talk about it. <laughs> um, and as always, leave us a rain and review. Just let us know that you're enjoying the show. You're part of the congregation. We love everybody that's here. Um, But all that's left to say is... 
Brendan, what are you doing here? I was only walking. Well, get on with your walking. Don't hang about here screaming. Fine. <laughs> I don't remember so what the, she says next. No, some of the bubbling romantic words. Dialogue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, until next week, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.